In our session last week, as we looked at Hebrews in chapter 9, we concluded with the first part of Hebrews in chapter 10. Again, it was the same focus continued that our Lord Jesus Christ, as our great high priest, has fulfilled all things that the old covenant priesthood, the old covenant worship, the old covenant sacrifices, all of them pointed to what Jesus Christ would fulfill once and for all. And he's become our great high priest. And the one thing that we focused the most on last week was the statement made in Hebrews in chapter 9, where the, where the writer says this. He says those old covenant sacrifices... They were deficient because although they covered the sins of the people for that year, remember, what what is it that they could not do, those of you who were here last week? They covered the sins, but what could the sacrifices of the Old Covenant, particularly the Day of Atonement, what could they not do in the human person, for the human person? Remember? They could not purify and transform the person into the likeness of God. Yeah, they covered the sins, but the sin was going to continue. Because man was not yet joined in union with God, where the grace thereof would flow into the human person, and we could be transformed, overcoming sin throughout our lives. You get that? And that's what we looked at last week. And what I reminded you of, As we looked at the sacrament of confession, the activity of God more particular in the sacrament of confession and how it fulfilled the Day of Atonement sacrifice. Remember, I'll remind you real quick of this. I don't have time to go over it all again. But on the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice that was called of the people was two goats. One goat would be sacrificed at the altar, bloodshed. That bloodshed would consecrate every item in the tabernacle, be brought through the veil by the high priest of that time. That blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat of God, which was the very top of the Ark of the Covenant. And by that blood, the sins of the people were covered. But then you had the second goat. The second goat wasn't sacrificed. The second goat was left outside in the outer courts. The people would gather and one person would take that goat and the priest would lay hands on the goat, imputing the sins of all of Israel upon that goat. But the goat wouldn't be killed. That goat would be taken by that one person from the people of God, would pass through the crowd, out of the outer courts, out of sight of the people. And the people would witness this. And then when he got to the wilderness, he is told to let the goat go to never be seen again. What's the picture? That not only, it points to something of the nature of God. Not only were the sins covered, but God is showing the people by the second goat that I take your sins, I carry them away, and I remove them from memory. I cast them, as God says, as far as the east is from the west, remembering them. How often? No more. And so you see this in the goat that would be taken away. And in the sacrament of confession, we have the grace of God both for the covering and the forgiveness of our sins. But in the same way like the second goat, we have the grace and mercy of God that gives gifts us the ability to be relieved of the shame 
all those things that stick in our mind, our emotions, even our body. Because shame dulls down the body. That God removes our shame because He truly lets us experience the fact that He as God not only has forgiven, but He remembers no more. He does not revisit the sins of His people upon them time and time again. When someone comes with a repentant heart and offers it before the Lord, God washes it clean by His blood, and He takes away all the sting that that sin ever produced, including the remnant of shame, releasing us from such a thing. And so we talked about that last week. And where we ended last week is where I would like to begin. Frank, would you mind reading something for me? I'm sorry. Anyone? But um, if you would read to us, we concluded with these verses, and this is what we're going to look at today from Hebrews in chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through 14. And every priest stands, stands ministry daily and offering repentance, repentantly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till enemies are made, are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sacrificed. Therefore, brethren... Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil, sprinkled from an evil conscience, and the bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. We have again drawn for us, we have again drawn for us a comparison between the old covenant priesthood and the new, and another important one that we need to note. Let me read you that first part again. Listen to the description. And every priest of the old covenant it's talking about, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, but this man, after he had offered the one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I want you to see this picture. Old covenant priests, We see this. He stands before the Ark of the Covenant. He stands even in the, the, if not in in the holiest of holy, the most holy place, the way in between the first room of the tabernacle. He stands for all of the services doing sacrifices that could not perfect man. Okay? Now, the great high priest, he's not standing. That's one difference. 
the great high priest, because of the perfect offering of himself, sat down at the right hand of God, who again by the offering of himself makes a way for us to be purified, made whole, that is salvation, saved through our union with the Holy Trinity. Now notice the posture and the position of our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. He takes his rightful place seated at the right hand of God. When you see that phrase, because it's mentioned many times in Scripture that Christ seated at the right hand of God. What is the right hand of God seated at the right hand of God? What does that tell you about his position? What are your thoughts? It, huh? It is good. He is an heir. Okay, an heir. He's seated on what? The throne. Who sits on a throne? A king. So he rules. He reigns. Other places in Scripture describe it as that he is given all power and authority. Now make the connection. Think of everything that we have been talking about. That our Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled everything that the Old Covenant pointed to and has made way for man's sins to be covered, his life transformed and brought into union with the Holy Trinity. The one who forgives sins, the one who disperses grace to us, is King is the one with all power and authority over all of the universe. This is the one, our great high priest, that sits there. So when we confess to our Lord, whether we go straight to Him after we sin and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, I did this again. Or whether we come to the sacrament of confession, where God makes available the experience of His forgiveness, the the fullness of the experience of His mercy for the wiping away of all shame from those sins. Who is it that's ministering? The one who has been given all power and authority to do so. None stand in the way of that. Not your worst enemy, Satan, nor your own flesh can stand in the way of the one who has the power and the authority to forgive and wash you white as snow. Not just in your sin, but in your conscience. Wash you white as snow. You get that? That's what's being made known. The ones, the priests of the old covenant, doing exactly what God called them to do, faithfully. But because the one sacrifice had not been done, And because that the one who both was the sacrifice and the priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, had not taken our flesh into himself and carried it into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. There was no way for that to be done on our part. And so we see, in fact, again, you've heard me say this, I'll never stop saying this. When you really look at the reality being presented to us about who Christ is in this role for us, is there any doubt that God has certainly stacked the favor on us to be saved? A lot of people have such a misconception of the very nature of God. It's so hard to be saved. No. 
not for those who remain in him. Oh, see, that's the key. That's the key. Those who remain in Christ, everything is positioned that they be made whole and that they remain in union with God for all of eternity. You know, it all comes down to the human will as always, doesn't it? Isn't that what it was in the garden? And I say again the words that I will say forever. C.S. Lewis, in the end, there will be two. There will be the one that says to God, Thy will be done. And then there will be the one that God turns to and says, Thy will be done. For it's never the will of God that any, any, not have life everlasting. Okay? And this Christ is seated on the right hand of God the Father. Having thought about this, we now come to a place in these Scriptures that calls us now to a response. How do we respond to all of these things that we have had revealed to us in the book of Hebrews that are the teachings of St. Paul? How do we respond to Christ who is our great high priest in the manner in which we've been speaking? I want to read to you the response that's called to because it begins in verse 19. You heard it read. Therefore, brethren, here's what we do in response. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. So what is the action called? What are we being invited to do? Seeing Christ for who He truly is. The first thing it says is enter into the Holy of Holies. Come in. Come in, having boldness to do so by the blood of Jesus. And that phrase, enter with boldness. This is not the only time, by the way, we see this in Hebrews. We already read it in Hebrews chapter 4. You might remember when we hear this teaching. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you understand the picture being painted? Not only is Christ seated on the right hand of God the Father with all power and authority over the universe, but this same Christ who never took our flesh and discarded it from Himself, his, our flesh is still joined to His divinity eternally. He sits on the right hand of the throne of glory. And it is this same Jesus Christ who has experienced every bit of fallen humanity. He is fully acquainted with our grief. He is fully acquainted with every temptation in which we keep falling into. He knows it all. So He understands our frailty, our weakness. And this great God, this great King, has immense compassion 
and wants to distribute mercy and His healing salve upon the souls of all who draw near in all of their frailty to come before Him. This is the nature of God. Why is it we can draw into the Holy of Holies, come before Jesus Christ, this great King and our great High Priest, with boldness? Because He invites it. He made a way for it. He doesn't say, go back and become better and then come before me and we can have some fellowship. Ridiculous. Opposite of who Christ is. He says, you who are broken, you who are frail, I know you, I know you by name, I know your frailty, come through the veil and be with me. Give me your weakness. Give me your patterns of sin, your besetting sins. Come before me, I give you my blood. And I wash you clean. And I raise you up anew. And I cleanse your conscience from shame. That's what we're being called to. That's what we're being called to. And this word boldness. Enter with boldness. Let me find that. I found that for us. Yeah, here it is. When it says that we're to enter with boldness, it doesn't say we're to enter with arrogance. It's not the word. Some people will equate boldness, and certainly boldness can be, you're very bold, can be a sign of arrogance. That is not what the Greek word that we have in Scripture when it says come into the Holy of Holies with boldness, what it means. Let me give you what it means. Boldness, the definition is this. Free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Great assurance. I'll say that again. Free and fearless confidence. By fearless, we're not talking about we deny the truth of Proverbs that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. This God is an awesome God. To come before Him is right to come with a reverent fear of who God is. So it's not that kind of fearlessness. It's fearlessness from punishment. From judgment to death. Those who are in Christ... Do not approach Him with their sin, shackled by fear that if I come before Him, He will hit the mighty smite button. Off with their head. Our Lord is not the Queen of Hearts. Right? Free and fearless confidence. Cheerful. Get this. In the meaning of this boldness word. Cheerful courage. I dare say that when our children, when they were young, one of them still does this from time to time. When they have fallen and injured themselves and scraped their knee, they are frail, they are feeble, and you can see it in their face. They're pitiful, right? They're pitiful. But they come in and they rush into us pleading with us to help them in their ailment. Because they have a courage. No, Why? Why do they do that? Because they know what they're going to receive. 
what is a child going to receive? A spanking for having fallen down? We clean them. We put salve on it, antibiotic ointment if necessary, place a bandage on it so it seals it and heals it. What are we doing? The parent is restoring the child. Why don't we approach God like His dear sons and daughters of which we are told He calls us and He has made us in grafting us into the Trinity. And yet we play, we said this last week, we play like Adam and Eve with our sin, ever hiding it from God as if He could never see it. Or so ashamed of our besetting sins that we hide away from God. What, if you remember this, in the garden, what was God doing when He knew that Adam and Eve sinned? He came to them, but what was He doing? He was calling them out to Himself. He was inviting the ones who had fallen to come. Think about this. You think God didn't know where they were? (laughs) If He wanted to kill them because of their sin, He would have showed up and that was that. The call was not a call to destroy. The call was a call to come back to me and they hid away. And therefore they lost paradise. Believe me. And the church teaches this. Not just because they sinned, but because they never returned to God upon His calling. How much are we like this? Very much. Very much. We're of this world. We are of this world. We have been... We're going to get to this in a minute because we're going to talk about this more. I'm going to go through a few other things. But the reality is it all stems from our fractured goggles because of our brokenness both in flesh and our enemies toying with that flesh as to how we perceive Christ. We see Him with broken, devastatingly broken goggles sometimes. Which is why we hide away. Rather than... Because I promise you this. Those who know Christ... They rush to confession. Because they know that in confession, and again, that's whether they just sinned and they go boldly before the throne of grace right there in their home or workplace or in the car. Or whether it's the sacrament of confession because they know that they need that deeper touch to be released from the shame. They've experienced it. They know it. Those who know God, they cheerfully come in. Why do they cheerfully come in? Because when they come in with all of their burdens, they know that when they walk out, they're going to be alleviated. And so there's great cheerfulness and ought to be excitement in God's people at going before the throne of grace with our frailties. And with our sin. Because we know this God. We know all that He has done on our behalf. And how He's positioned everything to save us. He has structured the whole universe to save man. By name. By name. So let's, let's have a little discussion for a few moments. I've said a number of things. When you look at Jesus Christ's life and ministry throughout the Gospels, you know, you see all through the Gospels. All, you know what it really is? It's a story of two things coming together. 
It's the story of God coming to man and all of his frailty. And it's a story of man's frailty pursuing and being with God that they might be healed, isn't it? Look at the Gospels. Isn't that the Gospels? God coming to man to restore and save. Man coming to God, have mercy on me. In so many different aspects, yes. Isn't that why St. Paul said that Christ came in the fullness of time? Yes. Yes, in the fullness all of time. All things flowed to Him, and yes. whether we like it or not, all things are flowing from Him, and His second coming is expected. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this is the gospel story. God comes to man, man comes before God, finds salvation. In that story, tell me some of the attributes of Christ that you see on display when he goes about ministering to people. Okay? What, who, who is Jesus? What do you see in him when he moves and acts on behalf of others? What does that tell you about him? Compassion. He is a God of compassion. Thank you. Good. Humility. Humility. Love. Humility in that this is the God, and we go back to the washing of the feet that we'll experience during Holy Week. The, the one who created all of those feet and the dust thereupon bends down to wash them. That's humility. Thank you. Somebody said something else. Jeff? Love. Love. No question. Compassion. Humility. Love. What else? Healing. Healing. He is the healer. What did I say people cried out for time and time again? Mercy. He is a merciful God. And remember, again, we go back to mercy and compassion. I love always uh, not differentiating because they work in tandem. In fact, mercy flows from the compassionate God. Mercy is the great gift of something we could never earn or deserve in place of what we really do deserve and have earned. Right? Compassion, if we remember, I, I, I always go back to this story, and, and I know I've shared it, but I'll do it again. I had the opportunity to go to Israel in 1997, and while we were in Israel, we took one of those boats out on the Sea of Galilee, and we went right out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee on this boat. Now, here's the deal. When you hear sea, you think of a pretty large body of water. This is not true. In fact, it's, it, it's Lake Tiberias. And it's very small. So when you're out in the middle of the lake, you could see the shoreline all around you. You can see the entirety of the shoreline. Okay? So why I say that is this. Because while I was out there, my mind went to the Scripture. Jesus had just been casting out demons of the multitudes, healing the sick of the multitudes, feeding them and teaching them all day. In His physical body, He would have been exhausted. We're told that. So He gets from the shore and He gets in a boat by Himself. And He intends to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to get some time. Space with his father. Okay? As we would say to recharge his batteries. Right? But it says that while he was going across, that he could see the entire multitude follow him around the shore. And while I was in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, that's what the picture I had. I could see how Jesus would see this multitude just following him all along the shore. And then when he gets off the boat, they're already there to meet him. 
And what are we told? That he says, folks, give me a break. Have I not done enough today? I'm in charge of time. There will be another day tomorrow. Can we just rest this evening? Right? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. What does it say? He said he gets off the boat. And he has compassion on the people. And he healed their sick. And he did the same thing. But what was the word compassion? It's that meaning of that word that always strikes me. Because it's something we all need to grow into in the likeness of God by His help and grace. That word compassion, always remember. When you look at the, at the Greek and its expression, it's such a pain within a person that someone feels for the condition of another that they physically ache inside. Remember, this is the God... Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God that spoke all things into existence. This is the Word of God that knit each and every one of the multitude that were so broken together in their mother's womb. And He comes across them and He sees their condition. Some tormented physically, some tormented spiritually. And He aches inside because this is not how I created them to be. He sees the results of the fall upon them. And that incredible ache on the inside that he has moves him. And this is, you can't have compassion with just the incredible ache. Compassion, this word, it's not complete with a pain feeling bad for someone. He is then moved from that pain to act on their behalf and alleviate their suffering. That's compassion. This is our God. This is our Christ. The one who when we come boldly, cheerfully, courage, with cheerful courage, fearless, free of shackles, to come as invited in our broken condition before the throne of grace. We come to this God of love and mercy and compassion and humility This is the one we place ourselves, our souls, and all things eternal within us before. What do we think we're going to receive if we know God like this? In Holy Scripture, I don't see people being afraid to go before Him with their most hideous things. He saves and redeems an adulterous woman because He had compassion, because He didn't create that woman. For unfaithfulness. And so they're going to stone her. And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone towards this adulterous woman. And one by one they drop them. And the God of mercy and compassion goes forward to this unclean woman. And says, woman, where are your accusers? For the first time, she's been in such fear. For the first time she turns around and looks... And there are no one there to accuse her. And so our Lord Jesus Christ says, Therefore, nor do I accuse you. Your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. The most sinful came to Him. The most broken in body. Some brought those who were filled with the demonic. 
before God. The leper, as we've talked about, unclean by law to the people. And he rushed up to Jesus Christ and said, if you're willing, make me whole. This is Christ. Okay, if that is Christ, what is our problem? Because the problem is entirely ours to deal with. If this is the nature of God in Christ, and I say this, folks, this is really perfect timing. We just happened upon it because we're where we are in Hebrews. Perfect timing entering into Lent. And remember, Lent is a microcosm of what is to be our spiritual experience every day in the Christian life. But here as we come upon Lent and we set before us the Christ who is this nature that we're talking about. Why don't we stop all this foolishness? What is it in us that keeps us from coming, rushing, not coming, breaking down the doors to get to Him? Because of what we know that we'll receive. Let's have a little discussion about that. Why do you think we're hesitant? And there are no wrong answers, yes. Because we're afraid to give up control. Ooh, bless your heart. I think that's it. Speak for yourself. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm in. I'm in. I pray for you you every day. God bless you. And and you're 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 absolutely correct. We don't want to because we have to, don't we? To be healed, we have to let the healer have his way. We have to say, You are the one, you can handle this. I give it to you. Yes. Please help me. And you know the medicine, even if I don't like the way it tastes at first. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Okay. Not good enough. We don't feel good enough. Not worthy enough. Yes. Here's the good news we aren't. So now, now that we've said it, we can get over it. Right? If what you're saying is real, the feeling that we have about ourselves that we are not. It's very good. We are not worthy to be saved. Right? Very powerful thing within each of us if we really search about it. And yet, it is our complete and utter disastrous unworthiness that he steps right into. And says, bring it to me. What else? Yes? I think sometimes we think we're, we must be doing okay because we're not as... We're not doing all that other stuff that everyone else is doing. So. We thank God we're not like other men. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're it's absolutely. a lie of the enemy. You, think, you know, there's always room for improvement. There's always something that needs to be worked on always. and changed. Always. So. Yeah, even if we're not doing all the, all the sins that people like to call deadly sins. Right? It's kind of like the parable of the rich young ruler. Right? When he comes before Jesus... And he says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, you follow the law. He says, you honor your mother and father. Da, 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 da. He gives off this list. And, and the guy's not, I really don't believe he's arrogant. I believe he's listening to Christ. And he responds to Christ, okay, I, I'm doing those things. One thing more. Go and sell all your possessions. And then come and give them to the poor. And come and follow me. Because Jesus knew... Here's what I really believe in this. I'm glad you said this. I really believe that Jesus did honor the rich young ruler for all that he had done in keeping the law. 
But he wanted to save the man. And there was still something in him. His love for what he had more than his love for God. And so he gets right to the point. And he says, go do this. And he couldn't do it. But you're right. Sometimes we feel like, I really don't believe. I made, I made a little fun about us being like Pharisees. It's not even necessarily that. It is we're going along and thinking we're kind of doing fairly well, thank God, by the grace of God. But then there's still that thing under the hood that needs a tune-up. Because it's breaking down the soul of us. Yeah, Sandy, good, thank you. So... It's perfect what you said about the rich young man and the one thing more because what I was going to say was we can't let go of the world. We've got our schedule and we've got our things that we have to do and so Lent is really difficult for us because we can't let go. Control. Control. If there's anything that Lent will do, if we will let it. Hey guys, our will is huge. Look at Lent. You want to know where your will stands? Look at Lent. But that's the point. Not to chastise us, but to bring us and draw us near to God. In all those ways that are keeping us from getting there. Because look at all that we do. The fast, just the fast. It's a total kink in my plans. Right? I miss my burger. I do. Uh, and, and I even miss, there's there so many things that I miss, but that's part of it. Realizing we don't need what we thought we loved so much. All of these things are true. All of these things are true. Let me conclude by reading this last portion once again. Having heard that we are to draw near to God with boldness, and we've defined boldness, into the Holy of Holies. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Always remember this. The invitation to come before God is for those who are in the ark of salvation. Because those are the ones. No one can go before God. Do you remember in the old covenant? Remember, they could not enter the tabernacle until they had sacrificed and ceremonially washed themselves. They could not enter into where God was most present. This is by the law of God. So who is it that's invited to come in with boldness before God? Those who have been washed in His blood and washed in the waters of baptism for the remission of their sins and the cleansing of their conscience. You see? But we have... We have. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Is faithful. My prayer for you, and I pray that you will pray for me, is that as we walk through this Lent together, because it's never just an individual exercise. There is that, but it's much more. As we walk through this Lent together, I pray that we will look at ourselves as those who bring before God filthy rags. Filthy clothing. Because we've made them filthy by our actions, our frailties, our brokenness. The ways that the sin nature is still at rule in our soul. And we come before Him with filthy rags because we know that when we get to Him, He's going to take our filthy rags and He's going to hand us pure linens to put on. 
That is the action of God on man's behalf because of His love, His compassion, His mercy, and His humility towards man. Let's stand.